Father, we just come to you, Lord. We just come to you. We come to you. The hours, the days of darkness are almost here, O oh Lord. You said you cannot work when the darkness comes. Work when it is still light. We know, Lord, time as we see it is running out for this world, even for your people. I pray, Father, there would be a quickening in our spirits. Especially the young ones. You said in your word, redeem the time for the days are evil. Walk circumspectly. Teach us. Teach us. Help us, everyone, to forget the mistakes of the past and to press on for what you took hold of us. Pursue, seek righteousness, holiness, peace. Help us, Lord. Even this morning as we hear the word, quicken us. Quicken us, Lord. Release the word into thy hands. Speak to us, Father. Anoint us. Anoint our hearing. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 First we will look at simple fundamentals and then we will go. But keep in mind what we've been hearing, listening, studying over the week, over the weeks, pursuing righteousness, seeking righteousness first, and pursuing holiness without which no one, no one will see God. That's what God has said. But simple fundamentals because I love young people. Now young people are all there on Wednesday, so I love it even more. You see, when you go to a school, when you go to a school, any one of the big schools, you will see there are big gates and there is a gate that is open and you will see children coming in. All the children that are out don't come in. We one set of kids coming. So to get into a school, what do you primarily need? You need your name in that big register, which is called the admission register. If your name is in that register, you can get into school. If your name it doesn't register, it doesn't matter what you are outside. You could be the smartest kid in town, but they won't let you in. Your name has to be in that register. Parallel in the kingdom of God, the first thing that matters is, is your name there? In Ezekiel chapter 9 and verse 4, God will tell the prophet, the Lord said him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of men who sigh and cry all over the abominations that are done within it. He said, put a mark. Nobody will see the mark, but God sees. You and I look at your foreheads, I can, can't see anything other than wrinkles. There is a mark. Invisible mark. God said, put it. Seven times in the book uh, of Revelation, seven times. I'm not giving you all that, only giving you only two words. Seven times in the book of Revelation it is written. In Revelation 13 and verse 8, and all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Who are the ones who will ultimately end up worshipping the Antichrist? 
those whose names were not in the book of life. Okay, so it's very, very important to be absolutely sure that your name, my name, our name is in that book. Admission is important. In Revelation 20, verse 12, in the final judgment, when books were opened, and I saw the dead, everybody, small and great, standing before God, books were opened. Many books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Book of life. Very important. Your name has to be there. If your name is not there, it doesn't matter who you were on earth, what you were on earth, what you achieved on earth are all irrelevant. Absolutely irrelevant. First thing is, is your name there. Like I said, you go to your own particular school, whichever school you study, the first thing that matters is, do you have admission there? Makes no difference what else you say. Do you have admission there? So the first thing that matters in life is our name in that book. It's literally the book of life. And then if it is not there, then there must be another book where your name is, which is the book of death. Once you enter, your book is there, like you see in the admission register at school. Once your book is there, you end, you, your name is there, you enter into the school. Say tomorrow morning, many will go to their schools, institutions, you go through the gate. Okay, school. And as soon as you enter through that gate, what begins or what is first necessary is not teaching. It's discipline. So if you go tomorrow at 9.30 and all St. Andrews and Michael, you will see lots of them standing outside the gate. Why? Because they were not on time. They don't go straight to the class, they go straight to the principal. Not to be taught a subject, but to be taught discipline. So we think as soon as we go to school, the first thing is we start studying subjects. No, God said the first thing you need is discipline. First thing you need is discipline. That's why here, though I teach, I also stress and pick you by name because you need discipline. You need discipline because all education without discipline is pointless. It's pointless. It's like pouring water into a bucket with a thousand holes. It won't reach anywhere. So you need discipline. Next thing, you enter into a class. When you enter into a class with your books, it is not written in the school. Everyone study on your own. No. You have teachers. You have teachers. So within the kingdom of God, there are teachers. That's why the fivefold ministry of God to teach us. The Holy Spirit teaches, but he teaches through frail, vulnerable human vessels who have been gifted, who has been anointed to teach. So you have teachers. And you have subjects. It's not that you study only one thing. You have multiple subjects in your classroom. There are multiple subjects in the kingdom of God, which some subjects are compulsory. Very, very important. And you will be told in school, don't fail in English, don't fail in math. Okay, some subjects, some subjects they'll say, okay, even try hard, but even if you fail, it's okay. You'll be promoted. So there are certain subjects like that. Okay, the Bible will put a gate there. Don't sin. But there is a sin that leads to death. 
So there are certain compulsory subjects. And so in the house of God, we deal with various subject matters of the kingdom, but there are certain subjects which are very, very, very important. And the reason you go to school and you also you come to church is to acquire knowledge. Acquire knowledge. You and I, we need knowledge of truth to make choices. Right choices. Like I said, discipline is important because it's what holds everything together. That of the body and the mind. For education to have maximum effect. You need to have discipline in your body. You need discipline in your mind. I'm talking in even now in secular terms. Even in secular terms, if you're disciplined in your body and in your mind, your education will hold you really good as you grow older and older. It still will work for you. In the same way in the kingdom of God, if you have knowledge of God, knowledge of the Holy One, and you have discipline of the body and the mind, it will last you eternity. So we need discipline and we need discernment. Okay? Discernment. To discern between truth and error. Truth and error. Why? Because there are two ways Jesus talks about. A narrow way and a broad way. In Matthew chapter 7, he says, enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Everybody loves the broad way. Naturally, every human being is inclined to the broad way. The liberal broad way. Tolerant. Inclined. But why? It's easy. It's the flow with the crowd. But it leads to destruction. Bible and Jesus is very clear. Many go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. So let's not change scripture. Let's not change scripture. The way is narrow. The way is difficult to life. Therefore you need discipline. You need knowledge. And you need discernment. Especially in the last days. Discernment. If you see the beginning of Israel. And the destruction of Israel. You will see the same pattern. Always with the church too. Why do we need discernment and real discipline and a seeking after the true knowledge of the Holy One? Because we are being bombarded with misinformation. Misinformation. Bombarded with false teachers. Bombarded. If you know history, which you should know history because it teaches you a lot of stuff. If you know about the D-Day landings at Normandy, which was the beginning of the end of the Second World War. One of the reasons they won was because of misinformation. The Germans were prepared everywhere else except where exactly the Allies landed. Because for weeks and months they were being fed information where they were coming and when they were coming. So when they actually came and came at that place where they came, they were not 
prepared at all and they were not aware at all. So misinformation is a tactic of warfare. And the emperor of misinformation is the devil. And misinformation is a part of his strategy. In the world, in the church. Misinformation. Bombarded. You will see. And it is, the broad way is huge. There are many teachers in it. Many teachers. The narrow way is very difficult. Very few teachers in it. Broadway, there is no conviction. No conviction at all. Listen to John Piper, 200 hits. Look at Joel Austin, 1.4 million hits. Has ever Joel Austin convicted you? Never. He, he makes you go back with such a good feeling. Even you are the most abhorrent sinner, he makes you go home feeling good. You listen to John Piper, even you are the best saint, you go back scratching your head. Why? Because we don't have discernment. We don't have discernment. Bombarded. Look at the pattern in First Kings chapter 18 and verse 19. Critical period in Israel's history. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. 450 prophets and 400 prophets of Asherah. How many prophets? False prophets? 850. 1 versus 850. What a ratio. What a ratio. One prophet showing the narrow way. 850 showing the broad way. 1 versus 850. Look at the ratio. This is in the kingdom of God. This is not in Syria. This is not in Chaldea. This is not somewhere in... This is in Israel. The only place where God has put his name. 1 is to 850. This 850 is destroyed by Elijah just a little later, a few years later. Look at the ratio again in 1 Kings chapter 22 verse 6. And the king of Israel gathered the prophets together about 400 men and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up for the Lord will deliver in the hand of the king. Are they, are they real? No. One true prophet is there. What is his name? Micaiah. One is to four hundred. Did you see how these false ones spring up like mushroom after a rainy day? It's all happening in God's kingdom. Now you know why it's so important we have the knowledge of the Holy One. Just not knowledge. Knowledge of the Holy One to be able to discern truth from error. How are you going to handle this? If you do not know and do not have discernment, how are we going to ever handle it? Look at the number of preachers and channels. How are you going to discern? One of the major issues that people of God is facing is not that we are not hearing the word or not listening to the word of God or not even building on the word of God. Major issue which I see is our foundations are wrong. Most of the people sitting over here has aggressively come to the Lord in the last 30 or 40 years. 
last 30 or 40 years is when all these various gospels came. They are not termed as that gospel, but they come to you as gospel. But behind and inside the gospel is another ideology that doesn't fit with this. The prosperity gospel, it is called. There's no prosperity gospel in the Bible. There's nothing like that. It's only the gospel. Then humanism is cloaked as a gospel and put across. And if you do not have discernment and you know what humanism is, at the center of it in humanism, it is man, it is not God. And you look at all these preachers, well-known preachers, whether it is Joel Austin or Prince or all these people, at the center of their preaching is not God, it is man. It's not God, it is man. Including Rick Warren. That's why they are big. The only reason they are so big, so influential, because at the core of their gospel, it is not God, it is man. You have to be able to see through the danger, the danger. When there is this feminist gospel, it is not called feminist gospel, it is the gospel which changes God's order. God order. Now which is the woman all women preachers hate? Elizabeth Elliot. Jim Elliot's wife, the the man who was killed when he landed. Remember Jim Gates of Splendor, his wife. They can't stand her. Because she speaks from God's perspective who a woman really is. And they cannot stand her. They will never invite her for any women's conference. Though she has an incredible testimony. Powerful testimony. Understand. Have discernment. Then there is this ecumenism. Unity of all churches. The biggest false. You cannot have unity without truth. It's a false unity. Absolutely false unity. The leader of it of course is sitting in Vatican. False unity. They are big names. Therefore it has power. Because the people whom he lead over a billion, they don't know their scripture. They don't know their word. They don't have discernment. He says they jump. This is the problem. This is how people go into the broad road without realizing they are on the road to destruction. Then there is the communist gospel. Oh, is there one like that? Yes. In South America it's called liberation theology. Everything. You listen to them, it sounds so good, interested in the man, liberating the man, but at the core of it, it is communism. Then there is the capitalistic gospel. It's another one. Okay. All kinds of gospels are there. But there is only one gospel. One gospel. That gospel is Hard, bitter pill to swallow. But extremely liberating. It is the exaltation of Christ and the death to self. In the mouth it is very bitter. But inside it is like honey. If you can get it past your throat, it's good for you. Remember all these other gospels are preached by not wise, but clever preachers. Very clever. They're very, very good with words. Extremely eloquent. 
and they will use all the props including lights and sounds and all knowing that knowing that a generation doesn't know their word and they need all have the sound effects and all that they will buy it they will buy it so if our fundamentals are weak we are ignorant of the actual doctrine of christ then it doesn't matter how wonderful our superstructure is when the storms comes it will collapse that's a danger on the other hand your foundations are very strong and if the storms come even if a window is blown away or two doors come down even the roof is come off you can still rebuild but if the foundations are blown away how do you rebuild how do you rebuild everybody will be hit by a storm everybody promised by god hit everybody is not able to rebuild that's why you need to have your fundamentals and your foundations very 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 clear and even you young ones and older ones christian many years whenever you forward something in your groups if it is christian listen carefully read carefully because when you forward you are subscribing to your doctrine we may be right or wrong be careful be careful if you are not sure don't forward if you are not sure don't forward it is it's simpler to forward a joke than to forward a wrong doctrine okay So the first thing I always do on a Sunday night or a Monday morning is listen to what I preach to check doctrine. The scripture says those who teach will be judged even more strictly. They are held at a different standard. Okay? So Jesus taught the truth. When Jesus taught the truth, Jesus, you can't get a better teacher than that. Look at him as the ultimate rabbi, the ultimate teacher. He taught the truth, but his disciples received it as the prosperity gospel. Doesn't matter who comes and teach, it depends upon how you receive it. The disciples received it as what? The prosperity gospel. So when the storm hit, the structure collapsed. what began in john 6 and verse 66 from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more because he couldn't handle his teaching finally ended on a night in the next portion in mark yeah how does it end and begin to beat his fellows mark i was daily with you in the temple teaching you did not cease me but the scriptures must be fulfilled then they all forsook him and fled why because not of the error of what he preached but the error in which they received the message they all fled so understand if the foundations are wrong it doesn't matter who teaches you your superstructure will collapse so the first step first step in your faith first step is to know who you are know your identity jesus knew his identity 
His identity was always this. My father. My father. Second, equally important, it's not just know the identity of your father in heaven, but also know the true nature of your eternal father. He is holy. What's the revelation in heaven? He is holy. Know who your father is. Know his nature. Our confusion is with the second one. We claim he is our father, yet we do not really know him because we do not have the knowledge of our father. In Proverbs 9 and verse 10 we saw, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the... We don't have the knowledge of the Holy One. It's very, 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 very diluted. Knowledge of the Holy One. So we call him Father, Father, but we have very little knowledge of the nature of a Father. He is holy. So did you go to school? Yes. Did you attend class? Yes. Did you listen carefully? Yes. Did you understand? No. So all your effort is wasted, right? See, this is one textbook where mugging won't work at the exam time. It won't work. So that's why there are millions of Christians who have memorized scripture but have no understanding of the Holy One. Because it doesn't work. Doesn't work. So scripture says, if you understood who your father was, then you would understand his priorities. Therefore he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Did you? Pursue holiness without which no one will see God. These two things after a point in your walk in salvation will define the life of a true child of God. Define ultimately. And because most of you sitting over here are young ones, listen carefully. Today we are going back to an old passage, one particular text around which we are going to build the whole message for today. I want you to turn with me to the book of Daniel and chapter 1 and verse 8. And young ones, listen carefully. And Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Young people, Listen carefully. What you see here in your themes, a role that has been played out for thousands of years. A young teenage believer in a secular setting. How did he live out his faith? That's what you're all facing. Same, identical scenario. One way or other. Living out his faith in a culture which is very hostile to what he believes. He's doing an undergraduate course, a three-year degree course. Verses three to verse six says, 
the king instructed the eunuch as when asked to bring some of the children of Israel, some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Young men on whom there was no blemish, good looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace. And first they had to go through an entrance test. Understand. Seven qualities are checked before you are admitted into this academy for royal service. Everybody cannot get in. First, they are checked on these seven things. No blemish, good looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, ability to serve in the king's palace. And then, they are going to teach them language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies, of wine which he drank, three years of training for them. Let's say in your case, three years of college. You got through your entrance, you got into this Ivy League college, three years. Okay? And among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. Four names are mentioned, only four names among hundreds who joined the course. Through your course. Okay? Think. Make it relevant to yourself. The attack is very cunning. Very clearly planned out by brilliant minds of those days. There is no siege. There is no persecution. There is no starvation. Nothing. Nothing. Babylon already has their bodies. They are captives. They are slaves. Now it wants their souls. Now it wants their souls. As soon as you got your admission and you walk through those gates of this college, they got your body. They got your body. And you walked into your classroom and sat on that chair, they got your body. Now what do they want? They want your souls. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar wants their souls. He wants their will, their affections, their entire personality. Dress as they dress in Babylon. Learn as they learn in Babylon. Speak as they speak in Babylon. Even eat as they eat in Babylon. Make them into Babylonians. The devil is not after old people. Let me tell you straight away. If he hasn't already got them, he knows it's pointless. He's after the young ones. Every system is after the young ones because if you can get them young, you get them for a lifetime. That's what Nebuchadnezzar He says, you know what? Bring them, smart ones, make them into Babylonians, then put them in a royal service. They will serve me. That's what the devil is trying. That's what God also wants. He wants you when you are young. Very subtle. Very, very subtle. Get them young. And they will serve a lifetime. Babylon is going to touch every aspect of their life. And we are living in Babylon. That's what this world is called. Every aspect of your life. When he was given a new syllabus, Daniel didn't say anything. When Daniel was given a new name, He didn't say anything. When he was given new clothes, he didn't say anything. It's very interesting. 
But he was given a new diet. He drew a line. Each one of us here needs to know where to draw your line. It's not the same. It's not the same. If you know who you are, who your father is, and you know the nature of your father, it doesn't matter what name they call you. Because many of us are not able to handle name calling because you do not know your real identity. How dare you call me that? But if you know who you are, you can handle any names. Jesus could handle any names they called it because he knew who he was and who his father was. Otherwise we will succumb. If your convictions are from this text, it doesn't matter which academy you go to. You can withstand any education and come out without being brainwashed. I went to the finest institute in this city. The best brains in this city when it came to literature. Didn't make any difference to the way I thought. But my convictions were very, very clear. Absolutely clear. Framed on this. Absolutely. That I saw everyone who came along with me into it, the way they came and the way when they out with different conviction, including Christians. But if your convictions are framed, one on this, and two in your heart, you have done exactly what God has says, I have exalted my word above everything else. And every opposing idea that comes to it, you battle it in your mind with the word of God and reject it. You can sit in the class, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. In your papers, you can write what you believe. Maybe lose a few marks, it doesn't matter. In your science paper, every question is not about evolution. One question may be, say, I don't believe in it, write the others. So it doesn't matter what they teach you in the classroom. It is important to draw a line in your life. It is important. There's a story told about a military barracks. Soldiers all in a room like this, they all sleep. One guy will go in the evening, come back late, drunk. And then he will come back in the night and wake up everybody. He's drunk and every night he will take a chalk and he will draw a line. And then he will start there in the dark and start shouting, come on, come on, come on. And they'll all say, again, this fellow, turn around and go to sleep. But after a few weeks, one night there was a young recruit. He was so irritated, he got up, he put on the lights. And he was a huge guy and he walked towards the drunk. And as soon as the drunk saw him coming, he moved backwards and drew one more line. That's the problem with most people. They keep on changing the line. In life, they have kept on changing the line. It's called compromise. Daniel drew a line very early in life as a young teenager. Very simple line. Daniel did not draw a line in the lion's den. He drew a line in the dining hall of a college mess.
understand that. Everybody knows about Daniel and the lion's den. Very few remember about Daniel in the mess. Where it drew a line. Young ones sitting here. Boys and girls remember meal times. Locker rooms. You know locker rooms? Sports. When all you young people sit together. No, meal times are very interesting when you all sit together with your dabbas. Those are the places we should learn to draw a line. This is what I don't partake in. This is not a conversation I indulge in. This is not what I discuss very early. Draw a line. It's difficult, but draw a line. This is what I don't watch. It is being passed around, young man. This is the kind of jokes that is cracked. Draw a line. Early, draw a line. Because you know much now. Much. You're well versed in scripture. Draw a line. Suddenly you will realize they don't want you to belong there. That's the problem. See, there would have been no story in the Bible about Daniel in the lion's den if there had not been a story before that of Daniel in the dining hall. Would have been no story. Daniel chapter 1 is a very sad sap chapter because there were hundreds of young men who came from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is a story that has been played over and over and over in the history of Israel and the history of the church many times over. Hundreds have come into the church of the living God and gone into the world and never stood up because they drew no lines in their lives. Very few could draw lines. The devil had a purpose for these children of Israel. To make them his own. God too had a purpose for them in Babylon. God has a purpose for everyone sitting here. In this world. But the truth is. Many will not fulfill that purpose. That's why God says. Many are called. When I was a call. The day you were born again. When I was a call. The day you were born again. You were called. Few are chosen. Why are few chosen? Because in Luke 16, verse 10, Jesus says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. Can you imagine the, the talk in the mess afterwards when they went to sleep? You're going to show off or what? We are all Jews. What showing off? Least. Small things, very small things. One of the things the other pastors where I minister tell me, I mean last week, the pastor told me, Pastor, after you came and started teaching in our church, in one year the churches have changed. Said, what happened? 
people now all come before time. It's one of the first things I go to a new church when I preach and I say, start. And at the end I will say, every one of you who did not come on time, you're good for nothing in the kingdom of God because that's the least you can do for the king. The king has already come and you haven't come. Everything you heard will have no effect in your life. And I said, trust me. Because why did you gather here? To meet a man? Or you came here because Jesus said, if two or three gather, I will be in your midst. It's him. And nobody enters a courtroom after the king has come. When you have mocked him with your coming, how are you going to hear anything he has to say? It won't work. There's a change. Church change. That's a little thing. Be faithful in what is least. What is the least a believer can do? Come to church a little before time. If you can come much ahead, praise God. A little. In Mark 25 and 21, Jesus said, the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. Few things. Can we be found faithful? Don't find too many things in your life. First find your focus, find your core. What am I? First thing you have to realize, you have to be very sure what you are. Are you male or female? Because so many in US and the West are confused. Today they are male, tomorrow they are female. That is why now they are making the law, transgender bathroom law. Like today if I feel I am female, I should be allowed to go to the female bathroom. That's a law that was passed by the previous president. First be very sure what you are. Are you male or female? From there only you can go forward. What does God talk about the male? What does God talk about the female? And then be faithful in your maleness, masculinity. Be faithful in your femininity. Then what are you? You are a daughter. You are a wife. You are a mother. You are a son. Then you become a husband. You become a father. When you go outside the house, you become an employee or an employer. Very simple. Very, very simple. Don't make it complicated. Oh, God has called me to Ethiopia to preach. No, brother. No. The fellow who doesn't come to church on time, never wakes up on time, never is faithful in anything, he's called you to, he's called you to nothing. Faithful in small little things, very little things. From there it moves. We read Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 and says, Ah, I need to draw a line with food. No, that's not the point. Some people need to draw a line with food, but that's not the point. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 is not about food. If you think it is about food, you got, you didn't get the point. He said, I will not defile myself. It's about defilement. Maybe the food that you eat is kosher. But something else you watch may be defiling you. Something else you may be wearing is defiling you. Something that you are hearing is defiling you. So the principle is not about food. The principle is about defilement. That's why Daniel had the knowledge of the Holy One of Israel. He said, I cannot defile myself. Whether I am in Babylon, whether I am in captivity, Nebuchadnezzar, Doesn't own my soul. Doesn't own my soul. 
It's about defilement. Scripture says Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. There are four things in this verse. And look only at that four things if time permits. First, Daniel purposed. Second, in his heart. Third, not to defile. Fourth, himself. He didn't make it a rule for the rest of Judah. Convictions are personal. Personal convictions. I preach what I personally convicted of. And after that I am not coming into your house with a stick. So did you keep what I said? No. People get confused when they come to me. They say, Pastor, what do you want me to do? I said, do what you want to do. Meaning, you are asking me what I will do or what you want to do. Can I ask you to do something on my conviction? I am convicted very clearly about this. And if you are not convicted of it and you do it for my sake, you will be a miserable slave. But you cannot live like that. You need to have building convictions. That's why come for the knowledge of the Holy One as we continue to grow in the Lord, our convictions will change. And we will start drawing lines, not in water or in sand. But you know, this MCH has come and laid this new, nice concrete road. And one little fellow comes that way with a stick and goes like that. Ten years you come later, that fellow's mark is still there on the road. Because that was a line drawn on concrete. Daniel did not draw a line in water or sand. Thousands of years have come and gone. The line still stands. And been lifted up by God for millions and millions of people as an example. How you stand for what you know is true. So he said there are four things. He purposed. He was very decisive about it. In his heart. Not to defile himself. He purposed. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 21. Test all things. We've been looking at good and evil. We need to have discernment to know what is good and what is evil. Once we have used the test of discernment and know something is good, aligns with God's word, aligns with his character, scripture says, hold fast. Hold fast. He purposed, he was very decisive about that. He held fast to it. But most people are like James 1.8. A double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What is your conviction today? I strongly believe in this. Tomorrow I am not very sure. Hold fast. Once you know this is true, if something is true, aligns with God's character, remember it is true always. That's why God says everybody needs a reference point. It is God. The God of Israel does not change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So the gospel, like telling pastors, always tell pastors one thing. I tell them, pastor, the gospel that is being preached, in the gospel is only one, right? Everybody agrees? Same gospel? The gospel you preach in America should be true in India, right? Should be true in China, right? Should be true to the persecuted church in Saudi also, right? Should be true in the church in Syria too, right? But some of the gospels, so much of the gospel you hear in the gospel, if you preach in China and Iran, they will laugh at you. 
They said, what you are preaching for is what we left to accept Christ. How can there be two Gospels? Can there be two Gospels? No, there can be only one Gospel. There cannot be two Gospels. And once you know something is true and this is good, Scripture says, purpose, be decisive, hold fast to it. Don't be unstable. Don't be indecisive. Certain things can be left. Not very, very important things. But certain things, you cannot leave it to chance. Hold fast. That's what God says. Choose this day. We saw on Wednesday. Deuteronomy 30, 15. Choose this day. I've said before you what? Today life? Ah, we didn't see. And good. Death and evil. If you choose good, what follows? Life follows. If you choose evil, what follows? Death follows. And what was told in the Garden of Eden? If you eat, you will be like God and you will know what is good and evil. You can choose. But God says, no, your reference point is wrong. Most churches in America no longer have the courage to stand up and say, marriage is only between a man and a woman because the reference point has changed. Point is what? The law of the land says so. Supreme Courts will come, Supreme Courts will go, verdicts will come, verdicts will go, the word of God stands forever. But are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing to stand alone, lose everything in Sweden if you don't believe in homosexual alliance and don't sanction it, you don't get a license to preach anymore. The government is taking it away from pastors. Do you believe? Europe is changing fast. That is the battle you are seeing in US. The battle is not about healthcare. Battle is not about Trump's tweets. It is not about it. It's about the freedom, the last bastion of the Christian world where the freedom to believe is being fought. And God has picked the most unusual man to, no president in recent history has spoken so much about God and about the Bible like that man. And he was strange. Is this man? Does he really go to church? But he speaks stuff unbelievable. To last week he said, America doesn't worship government, it worships God. Straight up. Why is he using that man? It's the last resort, final chance for the outward Christian world. This is your make or break. That's why everybody is after him. Have you ever thought why is everybody, every news media is after him? Everybody is after him. They are not after him for his policies. They are after his policies for the church. That's why they are after him. They want him out because they know he's dangerous, including people around him, including all the Republicans, most of them. Because they're part of the other side. They want him out because they know this man lasts four years. It will change. The church will get a longer time and our big boss, the Antichrist, will have to delay his coming. Because American policies control the world more than we ever know. America sneezes, the whole world catches a cold. That's how it is. That's how everybody is dependent upon that country. Every banking system goes through them. They freeze, you freeze. They shut you down, you you are shut down. Nobody can even, you can even think about competing with them. They're still so powerful. Last chance. Last chance. 
most unlikely person got picked. I don't listen to what the news says. I look at his speeches to the Christians. I look at my, even Reagan didn't say any of this thing. None of these presidents ever had the gumption to stand before and say that I am for you. And telling the pastors, as long as I'm president, you will have the freedom to preach what you want. This government will never come against you. While the other government went against every pastor who dared to preach politics and said, we'll take your 503k off. Tax free, we will come after you. They used the IRS against the Christians, the conservatives and the churches, remember. So, unusual what God is doing. But what is he telling us? Time is running out. Time is running out. You need to know. Choose good. Life will follow. Choose evil. Death will follow. In that case, Lord, give me discernment to choose between good and evil. Different people draw lines at different places. Daniel drew a line in the dining hall. Joseph probably had no issues. He was not compelled to eat anything so he could choose his food. Levitical law hasn't been given anyway. He was not compelled in so many phases because he had a lot of autonomy in Potiphar's house. But Genesis 39 and verse 9 says he drew another line. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. But because you are his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He drew another line. He says, I have power. I have authority. I have trust. I have it all. But what you are asking me to do, sorry ma'am, I have drawn a line. I don't do that. I don't do that. He drew a line. Another young man. These are all young men. Remember. Because these things will define their life. Where God reaches them is because when they were teenagers, they drew a line and said, I will not cross this line. One with food, another with sexual morality, a third man. Another young man in 1 Samuel chapter 24 verse 6. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. David said, I will not raise my hand against King Saul. He can chase me, he can hunt me down, he can send his entire army against me, he can lie sleeping against me, I have the right to kill him, but I will not. I have drawn a line, I will not cross it. All his soldiers, everybody saying, if you won't do it, allow us to do it, we will finish him up, you are free. He says, I don't do that. I've drawn a line, I will never cross that line. And God said, that's my boy. I'm not saying, what is your line? It is in your particular situation, in your particular circumstances, you all need to know there is a line you will have to draw somewhere in life and you will say, you know what? I've drawn a line. I'm not going to cross it. Purpose in your heart. Hold fast to it. Be decisive about it. Our issue is in this church, not this church, the church this final age, Laodicean age, has been fattened with false theology. We have very few convictions. Even when we have, we are not decisive about it. It's very easy to make decisions 
when everything is favorable. But you will see all these men, three men I mentioned, made their decisions when it was difficult. When it was difficult. Not when it was easy. Are you determined? Are you determined? It's a decision you take. Sometimes we have a conscience and a knowledge of good and evil in our heads. We know it. Nobody has to tell it. Let me tell you, do you need to read the word of God to know alcohol is damaging for your body? No. Do you need to quote Proverbs before you stop drinking? No. We all see effects of it is rare, visible. Or smoking. As a teenager who did not know Christ Jesus, I saw my father drink, I saw my father smoke, I saw him taking tobacco and made a decision. I ain't crossing that line. And faith had nothing to do with it. I didn't even know God. It's a simple line you decide. I never crossed it. I'm not going to cross it ever. Doesn't even bother me. And you stood firm on it. Absolutely. There are lines you have to decide because this is about your life. You don't need the Surgeon General's warning. You should know by now. Drugs will mess up your mind. It will fry your brains. should know by now. Because what you face is peer pressure. It's come here. People all sit here thinking nicely, oh, our children study in this school, that's the best school. No, it's not. It's not. The pressure in the schools today is the same as in the West. Now Everything has changed in India. The boys sit and talk about the conquest they have and the girls talk about the conquest they have had. I'm talking about premarital sex. In schools. Can you stand? Can you stand? Children, can you stand the pressure? And says, I ain't going that route. They'll say, Puss! We all have tasted it. I'm telling you, my little girls, when you are under pressure like that from girls, look them in the eye and tell them, what you have, I can have any day. But what I have, you can never have. You lost your purity, I can have it any day. But what I have, my purity, you can never have because you already lost it. It's easy to follow the crowd. It's easy to swim downstream. Difficult to stand alone. God is not looking for crowds ever in the Bible. He's looking for one man, one woman who will stand against the flow of the crowd. That's why he says of all in the earth of the Chaldeans, Abraham alone I called. Abraham alone I called. Moses alone he called. Elijah alone stood up in his generation. Elisha alone stood up in his generation. David alone stood up in his generation. Every generation, God is looking for one man, one woman who will stand up alone and say, Lord, I am standing alone against the flow of the crowd. Life-changing decisions can be made in a dining room. That's what is interesting about Daniel. Because if you are not determined, purposed in your heart, you will not survive. Somebody said, if your convictions are not worth dying for, then your convictions are not worth living for. 
But let your convictions be true. <laughs> because people live and die for wrong convictions also. All our wisdom, all our knowledge, all our understanding, all our anointing, all our gifts will ultimately mean nothing if we do not purpose in our heart not to defile ourselves. If we don't purpose in our hearts. All these other things which is from the kingdom of God will ultimately be of no effect unless at some point in your life you come to this knowledge of this Holy One and draw a line and say, Lord, help me. I ain't crossing that line again. Ever. I ain't crossing that line. That's what Daniel 1.8 says. Daniel purposed. Where? Second one. He purposed in his heart. Not in his mind. In his heart. Your heart is the core, the center of your being according to the word of God. Everything begins there. In Romans chapter 10, verse 8 and 9, what does it say? Scripture says the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That's the word of faith. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart. Believe in your heart. You know the problem is, everybody sitting here and everybody sitting in every church who's been regular has confessed with their mouth, but they have not believed in their heart. They have no conviction in their heart about this Holy One. They confess with their mouth. Repeat after me. They repeat after it. And they keep on repeating. But there is no believing conviction in their heart about who God is. That's why Jesus says, with the heart man believes, the mouth you confess. It's not confession that comes first. It is belief that comes from heart. That is why it says, Daniel purposed in his heart. Do you have conviction in your heart? In Matthew 22 and verse 37, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not all your words. All your words is very easy. 30 minutes of worship. How I love you. Shelter me under the shadow of the all words. But did you believe in your heart? Pressure will show. That's why God allows pressure. To see where the words of a heart and the words of a mouth tally. God is not in the, in the, in the job of condemning us. He's in the job of revealing to us who we really are so that He can make us whole. Heart. He purposed in His heart. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says, keep your heart with all diligence. Guard your heart. Watch your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence for out of it springs all issues of life. Careful attention. That's what diligence means. Persistent attention. That's what it says. People sitting even here maybe who give more diligent attention to their nails and to their hairstyle than to their heart. Persistent. Careful attention to your heart. Hebrews 3 verse 12 and 13 scripture says, Beware brethren, let there be any of your evil heart, an unbelieving heart, which will become a hardened heart. Hardened heart. That's what happens. 
An unbelieving heart becomes an evil heart, becomes a hardened heart. Doesn't matter how many miracles you see, how many sermons you hear, how many responses correctly you make with your mouth. Still, the heart is actually hardened. Listen to the words of the Pharaoh. His confessions are all good. Isn't it good? Bless me. Bless me, Moses. Bless me. Heart. No change. No change. It's like the young man or the middle-aged mortal who came to the pastor and says, Pastor, please, please pray for me for a financial breakthrough. The pastor said, you want me to pray for you? He said, yes. Do you pay your tithes? No. You don't? He said, no. He said, do you mind if I pray with my eyes open? He says, why? No, but why do you want to pray with your eyes open? Because he says, I never close my eyes before a thief. That's what the Bible calls you. That's what the Bible calls people who don't give to God what belongs to God. God says, you're a thief. Hallelujah, thief, put your hands down. Do you get what God says? Do we have the knowledge of the Holy One? Do we have? Unbelieving heart. Which leads to a hardened heart. Therefore all our knowledge and understanding and wisdom will be all ultimately have and gifts and anointing. Will have no effect ultimately if we don't God with Due diligence, our heart. Now what did I use? Knowledge, understanding, wisdom, anointing, gifts. Pastor, you must be out of your mind. No, I am not. I am right in my mind. All these things connected with the kingdom will ultimately be of no effect in your life if you do not guard your heart with diligence. So let me give you an example from the Bible, right? Everything has to be proved with scripture, not by my words, right? Heaven and earth will pass away. Along with that, my words also. But his words will not pass away. First Kings chapter 11, the most prosperous, wise, rich, honorable man. King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. Women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. From the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives and princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. In four verses, did you see what God is talking about man you got wisdom you got knowledge you got understanding you got riches you got honor you got it all something wrong with your heart something wrong with your heart the problem the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart that's the issue in verses 9 to 11 so the lord became angry with solomon because His heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. So you will say, Lord, appear to me and I will follow you with all my life. He said, Solomon, I appeared to him twice. 
You want me to appear before you? He said, I don't have to appear before you. Check your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence. And he had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant, my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. So knowledge, wisdom, understanding, anointing, gifts, honor, power, reputation, does it matter? If you don't guard your heart? Even if you don't have any of this thing, if you guard your heart and keep it straight towards God, it will work on your behalf. It will go well with you. Why did Solomon turn away? You see the number of times heart is mentioned in this passage? We cannot blame our circumstances, difficult or tempting situations. It is first God to do with the condition of our heart. What is got to do with? 11 verse 1. Solomon loved what? Many foreign women. That's the problem. That's the problem with Samson also. He loved foreign women. That's our problem too. And when he used term, now this is talking about Solomon's individual case. Look in terms of how does it apply to us in the new covenant. You will say, Lord, I am not in that category because I only love my wife. God says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not strictly talking about women. Revelation 14, verse 4, those who are the final overcomers, these are the ones who were not defiled with women. They were not defiled with women. So, overcomers are only men. No women are overcomers? No. So it's not talking about men and women. It is talking about something else. Right? Ask God for discernment. To know what is foreign to your most holy faith. What is foreign to your faith? Much of what is being preached today. That is why Jude in the final epistle before Revelation says, Brethren, Contend for the faith which was once and for all handed over to the saints. How are you able to to know women stands for the church and for doctrine? How are you able to know which is foreign women that is being preached? How are you able to know if you don't have discernment? Christians sin. Millions around the world in churches are holding on to foreign women. The hearts are divided. They all go to church. It's not that they don't go to church. But they're holding on to foreign women. It's not only that he loved. 11 verse 1 says, he loved. Second thing he says, he clung to them in love. Let me ask you this question. To the most godly Catholic. Can you talk to them about the error of Mary? No. But they cling to her. The foreign woman. To the holy faith. To the most conservative. Baptist fundamental Baptist, reformed Baptist. Can you talk to me about the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a second experience? No, because he's clinging to his foreign woman. 
to the most excitable Pentecostal, can you talk to me about the narrow way and the doctrine of Christ? No, you cannot. Because yes, most Pentecostals have no doctrine. That's a fallacy of Pentecostalism. Lot of power with no doctrine. Like a full WAP 7 electric engine going on a broken down track. Going full steam and crashing somewhere after some time. Because they don't balance power with doctrine. All holding, that's the issue. Held fast to them. Instead of holding fast to what is good. Can be a doctrine. It can be an attitude. That is error. can blame it on the foreign woman. But the real reason is not the foreign woman. Verse 4 says, the real reason is his heart was not loyal to the Lord. Stop blaming the women. Even if they are foreign. The problem is your heart is not loyal. And verse 6, it will end up you doing evil. In the sight of the Lord. Do you have wisdom? Yes. Knowledge? Yes. Understanding? Yes. Anointing? Yes. Power? Yes. Honor? Yes. Riches? Yes. Reputation? Yes. All? Yes. I have everything. But what did you end up doing? Evil. And he did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Aha, wait a second. Lord, I think you got your doctrine a little wrong here, Lord. Why are you always comparing everybody to David? So, so special about David's heart. Isn't that the fellow who fled in fear and lived in the Philistine territory for 16 months? Wasn't it the fellow who took another man's wife? Lied? Deceived? Murdered? Did you keep on telling in scripture that he fully followed the Lord? Why do you always lift up the heart of David? Not that he did not sin. He sinned grievously. But he was determined in his heart to get back with God. Well, Solomon was determined in his heart to go away from God. David was determined in his heart to get back with God. That is what God is looking for. Have you purposed in your heart to get back with God? Because scripture says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the question is, are you willing to get back with God? Are you purposed in the heart? I don't care what it costs me. I'm willing to go all the way back on God's terms. He was steadfast in his sorrow and he was steadfast in his repentance. When Solomon turned his heart away from God, David turned his heart back to God. One is repentance, the other is hardening. So in Psalm 51, verse 17, one of his most celebrated, sorrowful, he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. This was the heart of David. What is the heart of David? This is the heart, a broken and a contrite hand. God says, you know what? I don't despise that man. I love that man. I love that man. I love that man. And I will honor that man. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, even in the new covenant, God will say, 
I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Wow. Wow. Did you see? Daniel purposed in his heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. It is not how far you have fallen. It is how far you are willing to go to get back to be right with God. People will talk about your past. God is looking at your present. That's what Paul says, forgetting the past. I'm pressing forward for what God took hold of me. So the gospel is a message of hope. It's not a message of hopelessness. It's a message of hope. And that's what God is asking. Daniel purposed in his heart. Where did Daniel purpose? In his heart. What did he purpose in his heart? That he would not defile himself. Maybe it is today. Maybe today is the message is hitting you. Decide today. I have purpose in my heart not to defile myself. This is God's desire. God is looking for some man, some woman, some boy, some girl who will say, Lord, what is your desire? God says, this is my desire. And if you are willing, I am willing. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, 23, 24, scripture says, may the God of peace himself sanctify, which means actually purify. Remove all defilement. What? Your spirit completely. Your spirit soul and body and preserve it blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blameless. He who calls you faithful, who also will do it. He will do it. But do you decide? Is the question. God is asking us. This is God's desire for every child of his. And he says, if you are willing, I am willing. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, 21, he puts the honest on us. In Thessalonians, he puts the honest on himself. He says, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself. From the latter, what is that? Defilement. He will become a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for God. Sanctified and useful for God. Daniel will become a vessel of honor. A vessel of noble purpose in God's hands. With incredible purpose. Incredible purpose. And you have to read chapter 1 alone. Chapter 1 of Daniel alone is enough to understand. My gosh, this young man draws a line at the dining table. And what happens with this man? The last verse of chapter 1 of Daniel. Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Do you know what it means? 75 years later, he is still there. Nebuchadnezzar is forgotten, dead and gone. Balthasar is gone. Daniel is still there. Kings have come. Kings have gone. Empires have fallen. New empires have risen. One man, one man still is standing. Until the first year of Cyrus. 
It doesn't make any difference to us the first year of Cyrus. To every believing Jew, the first year of Cyrus, they know what it means in their history. That is when the edict was given. Israelites, you can go back to your kingdom, back to Jerusalem, build your temple. Why? Because one man, 75 years earlier, drew a line at the dining table. An entire remnant was saved. One man. One man. The decisions you take today, you will have no idea what it will affect generations to come. Because God is looking for one man. Scripture says in the book of Ezekiel, who will stand in the gap. When at the age of 15 or 16 or 17, he drew that line at the dining table, did he know God's history would record about him this? Empires have come. Babylonians have come. Medes have come. Persians have come. Everybody has come and gone. One man and one man alone is standing. You know why? Because he drew a line. Kings came. Kings went. Every king who came, scripture records, history records, they did not and could not make Daniel cross the line he had drawn. Instead, the kings crossed the line he had drawn so they could have him in their service. Every king who came said, I want you in my service because this man drew a line. That's why God says, he who honors me, I will honor you. Children, when you are young, the decisions you take, may look very, very simple in man's eye. You may have go through a lot of hostility among your peers for simple decisions to take. Simple. I'm not drinking. I'm not smoking. I'm not watching this. I'm not playing this game. Or you may be for you girls, I am covering my sleeves. That's as simple as that. My body is for one man. It is not for the gooks on the road to feast on. It is for one man. Set apart. It's as simple as that. I am not going to let eyes defile me. And I am not going to give them a chance to defile me. It's a simple decision. And God says, I see you. I see you. That's what Joseph said. I know. There's a pair of eyes that see me even when I don't see him. My circumstances don't decide my decisions. My decisions are decided by the knowledge of the Holy One. And as you grow in knowledge, grow in holiness. God wants us undefiled in spirit, soul and body. And He's willing to make us. He's willing to make us. And the children in the new covenant are so blessed. Because we do not have a Jewish heritage. If you had a Jewish heritage of the old covenant person, you were once you are defiled, you are defiled, you are gone. But the new covenant, in 1 John chapter 1 verses 7 to 9, what the scripture says, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses of what? Also, doesn't matter what you did. Once the blood has finished his work, you are clean. You're clean, undefiled. You're undefiled. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not 
in us. And verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You are cleansed of your sins and your unrighteousness. You can be presented by God to himself as undefiled. Undefiled. Do you understand the, the glory of the new covenant? The glory of the new covenant. Old covenant, no. David, a man after my own heart, I love him. He's a good guy. He turned his heart with all covenant, with broken heart, contrite spirit. But when the new covenant opens, what is written about David in Matthew chapter 1? <sighs> he took Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. His sin is remembered because in the old covenant, the blood of the Passover lamb does not have the power to cleanse you. Only the blood of the Lamb of God has the power to cleanse you and proclaim you without sin, without defilement. Understand the covenant. Understand the truth. Otherwise, do you think King Apostle Paul could go to town after town, synagogue after synagogue, church after church, and preach about Christ, he who had killed Christians? He could. He could. Undefiled. Peter who betrayed Jesus 50 days earlier, three times even to a search, servant maid, cleansed, purified, filled with the Holy Spirit, stands there and says, Jesus whom you crucified, not me. That sin is not, I mean, I'm pure, I'm undefiled. You crucified, God has made him Lord and Savior. I am free because of the blood of the Savior. Undefiled, pure, walk free. The greatest need in the kingdom is purity. Not ability. God says if in a master's house there are many vessels and if you are able. He didn't say that. Even though your name is able. He didn't say. He didn't say. He says if you cleanse yourself. If you get all these degrees. He didn't say that. If you cleanse yourself. So as an older mentor to his spiritual title, Timothy, what does Paul write? Timothy. Let no one despise your youth. This is what I keep telling Pastor Eric. Eric, let no one despise your youth. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. In purity. Without defilement. Purity is not just before man. It's before God. Because scripture says in the book of Malachi, God even he listens to our conversations to see whether they are pure or not. In chapter 5 of Timothy and verse 22, do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in the other people's sins, but keep yourself pure. 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 Purity. Do not defile yourself. In Exodus 28, and verse 38. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in their holy gifts. It shall always be on his forehead that he may be accepted before the Lord. What? He, he wore that mitre or that holy cap. And what was written on his head? Holiness unto God, he says. Purity of mind. Purity of mind. Oh, Israel. Oh, high priest, if you have to carry the iniquity of your people, then let there be purity in your mind. So you can make intercession for them. 
In Exodus 39 verses 30 to 32 it is written, Then they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it inscription like the engraving of a signet, Holiness to the Lord. They tied to it a blue cord to fasten it above on the turban as the Lord had commanded Moses the high priest's head. And then what the scripture says, thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of the meeting was finished. God is building another temple here. Everyone sitting here, he says, new covenant temple. Everyone, new covenant temple. He says, I'm working on you. I'm working on you. I'm working on you. I'm working on you. Each one. You know when he will say work complete? When he says, I have brought the purity in your mind, it is finished. It's, it's done. That's what I was working for. Now every thought, every emotion, every attitude in your mind is holy unto the Lord. Work complete. Enter into my joy. It's done. That's why God says, pursue, pursue, pursue these things. Pursue these things. Know who your father is. Know who your, what your identity is. Don't run after the other things. All that will be added. Run after things that are important to God, to your father, your real, real father. That's what scripture says. And holiness takes the central place in our mind. God can actually start completing the work he started in us. I read a story about one of the most uh, valuable furs, no fur coats now, of course many of that is banned, is of this animal called ermine. E-R-M-I-N-E, ermine. Okay, It's a very white furry animal, looks like a badger. You know how the hunters, I read, they catch it. The hunters, they find the ermine's hole. It has gone out. What they do is, it's a small hole. They put dirt all over it. Then they are with the dogs. The dog smells, 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 find it. And the dog is now chasing the ermine. What happens? It's pure white. What happens to the ermine? It, by nature, God has made it like this. When the dogs chase it, it's running to its hole. But when it reaches its hole and sees the hole is covered with dirt, it stops. Would rather die than dirt its fur. Returns around and fights. Though it can get in, it will not dirty its coat. Do you know what scripture says in Hebrews 12 and verse 14? In your battle against sin, you have not come. 4, 4, 12, 4, sorry. You have not yet resisted to the bloodshed striving against sin. Are you willing? Because he haven't come. When do you think God says, when can God say you are, you are perfect? He says, when you are willing to die for your convictions. I will not sin against you. Revelation 12 and verse 11 scripture says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Whom did they overcome? The devil. By the word of the testimony, they did not love their lives. Unto death. You know the truth? You never have to fight the devil. In any area of your life. If you are willing to compromise with sin. That's the broad way. If you are willing to compromise on sin. You don't have to fight the devil. You don't have to. Everybody will love you. Everything that is carnal will love you. If your father is carnal, he will love you. If your mother is carnal, she will love you. If your wife is carnal, she will love you. If your husband is carnal, he will love you. If your children are carnal, they will love you. 
Because in the world, there is only one virtue, which is called tolerance. They love him. That's what Daniel 1.8 says. What does Daniel 1.8 say? Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Himself. See, our convictions are very personal to be lived quietly. He's a young man. He didn't start lobbying immediately. He didn't start forming a righteousness group. Kosher eating. That's what the Pharisees became. You see, you could have the right idea and suddenly mess the whole thing up and miss out. Wherever Jesus went, the Pharisees were after him. Oh, your disciples don't wash their hands. They changed the defilement law of food into and made it into another hundred laws. And Jesus said, you know your whitewashed graves. All good outside, inside, full of rotten bones. It's a personal decision. All young ones, it's your personal decision. You don't have to force it on anybody. If you are planning to get married, then marry according to your conviction. So that it can be a family decision. Then if you go to church, then pick a church according to your convictions. So that we can truly worship together in truth. People don't choose churches according to their convictions. People choose churches according to their convenience. You're getting the picture? It's a very personal decision. Very polite decision. How polite he is. He knows. Nebuchadnezzar is thinking for the good of his kingdom. The head of the eunuchs is thinking what is good according to the king's order. Now, when you stand up for something that you is true in your school, in your college, in your workplace, you don't have to be offensive. You don't have to be offensive. You don't have to be offensive. You can do it very gracefully. When I worked in that place where you are forbidden to worship Jesus Christ, not proselytize, never do any one of these things, and it's a private institution, and all that nation itself is like that, one thing I decided was that I'm not going to be offensive. It was my decision. Only thing I went and met the top person who gives me permission and told him, Sir, you don't get me on Sundays. Ever. I'm telling you right in the beginning. He said, Okay, Mr. James. I didn't go to the staff room and say, Are you Christian? Yes. Are you Christian? Yes. Are you Christian? Are you Christian? How come you are teaching extra classes on Sundays? I didn't say that's not none of my business. It's not my business. It's my personal conviction. He has no conviction. Why should I put my conviction on him? Daniel didn't go through all the sons. Hey, are you from Judah? Are you from Judah? Are you from Judah? How come you are eating all this? He stood up. But when he stood up, three others who had conviction, who were a little weaker than him, they also stood up. Only four. King changed his name. Balthazar, right? That's his name. Let them change your name. 
Does it matter? The king can change your name. But the 12 chapters of Daniel, he's still only called Daniel. He's not called Belteser even once. So it doesn't matter who changes your name. It doesn't matter. In the new covenant, anyone can turn towards God anytime. Anytime. And your day could be today. And draw a line. And it doesn't matter. Pressure will come. Enormous pressure will come. I'm not saying it is easy. For Abraham, pressure came from Sarah. Sarah is under pressure. I'm not having a baby. Culture says, can have a baby through a servant maid. It will be my baby. Should have just drawn a line and say, Sonny, no. I've drawn a line. I'm willing to wait. His son drew a line. I don't know how many voices they heard and Rebecca heard. I don't think Rebecca ever would have heard. Because do you know what is the first line written about Rebecca? He prayed, he got up and a young girl came with her burden and he looked at her. Scripture says she was beautiful and she was a... Next words, next word about Rebecca. You don't have to check, you should know by now. She's a virgin, she was pure. First thing written about her, she was pure. She was pure. The first thing Christ Jesus is looking for in his finished bride. One, she should have the beauty of the spirit, a meek and a quiet spirit. Second thing, are you pure? Do you allow my spirit to purify you? Do you allow my word to purify you? Do you allow my blood to sanctify you? That's the first thing he's looking. Beautiful, meek and a quiet spirit. Not a loud and harsh spirit, a meek and a quiet spirit. Second, is she pure? Is she pure? So young ones sitting here, lots of young ones sitting here, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Everyone is cheating in exams. What are you going to do? I don't need to cheat. I have studied well. Everybody who does well is helping others in exams. What are you going to do? To belong to the in crowd, you need to use profanity. What? The four-letter words we say in English. Our regional languages have many letters. What are you going to do? Everyone is at the theater watching the latest movie. Where everyone has got their listening to the latest music. What are you going to do? Is that movie defiling your spirit? Is that music defiling your soul? What are you going to do? It's not about a crowd. It's an individual choice. Everyone is watching porn. What are you going to do? Everyone is drinking occasionally. What are you going to do? Everyone is experimenting on drugs. Pong, bong, whatever names they give it, it's the same. What are you going to do? Everyone is having premarital sex. They're bragging about it. And if you don't do it, they call you a wuss. What are you going to do? Babylon will come after you to make you like them. So they can defile your body and your mind and ultimately your spirit so that when it's all over, 
You look like a Babylonian. You talk like a Babylonian. You act like a Babylonian. And you are ultimately serving the king of Babylon. One man stood there. He drew a line. 75 years later, kings were coming to him and saying, could you please inquire of your God? So that's the first call of salvation. People don't realize what is the first call of salvation. So close, the last verse for today, Acts chapter 2, verse 40. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. What was he saying? Stand up and stand apart. In a youth hostel, in a youth mess, one young man stood up and stood apart. It looked like a very simple decision he made. You know, you go for a wedding. All go for a wedding. Right? When you go for a wedding, everybody looks the same. Actually, everybody looks like a bridegroom and a bridegroom. They look like Christmas trees. So you don't know who is who. You all look, your eyes are all glitter. This thing. And everything is over. You go for the reception. When you go for reception time, for the eating time, suddenly you see non-veg. Wedge. You see long line there. So when everybody looked the same, when you went there, your stomach divided you into two groups. Right? Then you see another one in that wedge group asking, Is my garlic hai yaar? Is my onion hai? Then you ask them, are you Jain? Ah, I am Jain. So even there, one more group. You see, food divides you. And everybody ate. People are leaving. And when it comes to 10 o'clock, 10.30, 11 o'clock, music changes. Right? When music changes, there is another division. We don't realize everywhere there is a division. Everywhere there is a division. And without you yourself knowing, by your choices, you are revealing what is in your heart. So Daniel did not purpose in his heart, I will not eat pork. No, that's not the point. Daniel did not purpose in his heart, I will not wear this kind of costume. Daniel did not purpose in his heart, I will not have a mohawk hairstyle. No, that's not. What he decided in his heart is, I will not defile myself. That's what you need to purpose. And as you go through life, God will be able to speak to you and say, don't touch this. It's defilement. Don't touch this. This is, don't go there. But that's a nice place. But there's a defilement for your spirit there. Stay away. One church in this city. One church alone. God said, you will never preach there. I have taken my spirit out of that place. Never. And I put the number here from that church has warning. So every time they call, I would never pick their call. It's a church. It's a church. It's a church. So you never will you go there again. You are the boss. I am not.
is not I who decide what is defiled, what is good, what is not my job, it's your job. You say, I am willing, Lord. Many times I looked at the number and said, Remember, God takes us through this process. Be willing and be open. Today we can be your day. Like Daniel, today can be the day you decide to draw your line. We don't have time, but let me pray. Let's stand up. Father, this morning we just come to you. And so many young people standing here, Lord. I don't know anyone's heart except mine. Yet you see everyone's heart. Not a single heart is hidden from you. The thoughts, the attitude, the muck, the good, everything is visible to you. Everything is laid bare before you, Lord, this morning. And I pray, Father, you would speak to us all individually today. Everyone has the courage and the conviction to draw a line. Say, Lord... Help me, Lord. I have purposed in my heart not to defile myself again. For I realize who I am. I realize to whom I belong. I realize who my father is. I realize he is holy. As David cried, I pray, Lord, you will hear the cry of every heart that's crying out to you. He said, remember not the sins of my youth. I pray, Father, you are faithful. You are faithful. Anyone here is crying out for their sins. You are faithful. Your word says, you are faithful. You will cleanse us. The blood of Jesus will cleanse us and purify us. The impact of the decision they take today. Only history will reveal in eternity. I mean Daniel did not know Lord that day. Would change the history of a nation. When Daniel decided not to defile himself. The nation's history changed. On a spring evening. When David decided to defile himself, he also changed the history of his nation. And I pray today, Lord, the right history would begin today in the lives of your people. Touch, Lord. Touch us. Cleanse us. Purify us. Sanctify us. And fill us that we might walk with you. Now and forevermore, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. As we go into a new week tomorrow, a new year, a new month, oh Lord, I pray your hand will be upon your children. And you will take them through, wherever they are, school, college, workplace, home, difficult, easy circumstances, wherever, they will make the right choices in life. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you. We lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. 
We bless your holy name, Lord. We bless your holy name. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.